The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello there, I'm your host Peter Strachan. Welcome to Stockhead's Rock Yarn. As we hurtle toward a world where cars will no longer be considered as internal combustion engine, but will be electric by choice for safety, for ease of use and for cost of ownership, I'm sure that Stockhead subscribers are keen to keep up with technical and commercial developments. To bring us up to date with these new opportunities, we are delighted to welcome back the Managing Director of Impact Energy Consultancy, Peter Petrovsky. And subscribers can search for Pete on the Stockhead website uh, for past appearances. Peter is active on the committee of the Tesla Owners Club of WA and runs a business implementing microgrids and incorporating rebuildable or renewable energy. Welcome, Pete. Uh, Peter, Australia's luxury car tax, do you think that's outlived its purpose in supporting local industry and and has it in fact become now a tax on innovation? Hi, Peter. Thank you very much for having me back. Yes, absolutely. It definitely has. So the luxury car tax was implemented over 20 years ago. It's now a redundant tax because it was put in place to protect the Falcon and the Commodore. We no longer produce those cars in Australia. In fact, we don't produce any cars in Australia anymore. What it's become now is effectively a tax, exactly as you said, a tax on innovation, a tax on safety and a tax on electric vehicles. To give you an example, the top of the range Tesla Model S with all the fruit um, is attracts about $56,000 in taxes, 39000 of which is the luxury car tax. That exact same vehicle in the US was getting a 7000 US incentive or subsidy. That looks like it's going to go to $10,000 US now, so roughly about $13,000. So that's a $70,000 difference just in the tax on that exact same vehicle, buying that in Australia versus the US. It's just um, absolutely crazy. Um, And it's absolutely crazy that we're incentivizing and subsidizing fossil fuels uh, to a tune of $47 billion a year in Australia. That, That actually, if you divide that by, because it's the taxpayers that, you know, that money comes from taxpayers' pockets. If you divide that by the number of taxpayers in Australia, that works out to about $3,200 per taxpayer per year. Um, so that means over a 10-year period, a two-taxpayer family would have paid taxes to the tune of $64,000. All of that money would have gone to coal, gas and oil. Now, interestingly, yeah. the Model 3 starts at 62000 on road in Canberra and $66,403 on road in WA. So the mean or the average there is $64,000. So, yeah. um, you know, the average family has already paid for a uh, Model 3 standard range plus. <laughs> There's plenty of room for uh, for reform there on the at the federal level to incentivise this type of technology, it's clean technology then, Pete, there's no doubt. So, I mean, the the statistics are a little bit clouded for the number of vehicles actually being sold, electric vehicles being sold in Australia, but how how are sales moving in Australia and, and globally? There's a very big difference between Australia and globally. So in Australia, we I think about 1.5% of the market share of all new cars sold is uh, are EVs, and that includes plug-in hybrids. 
uh, which is a I mean, that's a minuscule amount. Compare that to Norway. You know, in 2020, 83% of new cars sold in Norway um, were either plug-in hybrids, um, other hybrids, or EVs, pure EVs. The latest figures from Norway in August, um, so petrol cars accounted for less than 4%. Diesel cars accounted for less than 4%. Everything else, so ninety-two percent of all cars sold were either electrics or hybrids. I yeah. mean, that's a that, that that's a huge discrepancy. Um, um, but you know, Norway ten years ago, Norway statistics were roughly around where Australia is today. So, but you know, we didn't have you know didn't have charging stations, didn't have the cars, didn't have the range. Um, ten years ago, the, yeah, the technology's was, moved away, uh, moved ahead rapidly, hasn't it, Pete? Absolutely. All, all we need is the right policy settings and we could make this shift in, you know, five to seven years. So, look, do you think the, the major auto marks are ready to market these electric vehicles in, uh, you know, globally? And I mean, they're all gearing up to do it, but will their business models, you know, which is sort of revolves around the servicing and the, the agencies and so forth, will that be sustainable? I mean, Tesla, you could just buy it on the web. You don't, there's no... You don't go down to your local car yard and buy one. Yes, it's a very different business model. Um, you know, you could argue that, you know, the idea is to look at Tesla if you're looking at it as a company uh, on the stock market as, as more than just a car maker. But in fact, um, you know, you could argue that Tesla is the really the only car maker out there, the only real car maker, because the others are more... You know, they're more assemblers of parts rather than yeah. being, you know, so Tesla makes its own seats, they make their own uh, radio system, they, they make their own software, you know, the AI is all theirs. So, you know, they they don't have a dealership network, they sell directly. So it's a very different model, which means that, you know, the cars are profitable in their own right. They don't rely on service centres, they don't rely on anything else. They don't re- re- f- for f- to make the cars yeah, possible. Yeah. Um, whereas some of the legacy autos, uh, as, as exa- exactly as you said, so they're relying on servicing. They're relying on all the add-ons that a dealer puts on after the car is sold, um, and uh, and they rely on selling parts. So yeah, general. Um, I think General Electric in the states used to make more money, or General Motors, sorry, in the states used to make more money with their insurance offering than they did making cars. Exactly. And so if you have that sort of a model, you're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because, um, yes, the whole world is moving towards electric. Many jurisdictions, most jurisdictions are mandating it. So, um, you know, you know you have to move to electric, but every electric car that you sell, um, you know, maybe at the expense of your internal combustion engine car, the yeah. internal combustion engine cars that they sell, the, the margins are wafer thin, and some will, you know, in some instances, they're selling them at a loss. The problem mm-hmm. is, the electric cars that they're selling are often at an even bigger loss. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you you know, you're cutting your lunch. Your only profitable mean, your only means of profitability, and you're replacing it with a vehicle that is losing even more money. So. Um, yeah, it, it's a very hard place to be in for some of these. Yeah, so Pete, um, just a couple of nitty gritties. I mean, we we know that most people sort of travel less than thirty kilometres a day in a 
auto, automobile. So say how the say your average commute was like forty kilometers uh, in a day. How much charge would you require? to to do that 40 kilometers and how long would it take to charge you know to put that charge in from your home plug or from a supercharging station yes good question so look the average australian drives between 36 to 40 kilometers a day call it 38 kilometers a day so that's a yeah that's a good place to start in terms of how much energy that requires it's roughly depending on the car but anywhere from about 7 to about 10 kilowatt hours or units of electricity um, to do that 40 kilometers. Um, in terms of charging, that depends on the charger. So the Tesla superchargers, uh, they charge at a rate of 250 kilowatts. The cars, the Tesla Model 3 takes a 250 kilowatt charge. So, you know, it's a couple of minutes. Uh, but that's DC charging, which bypasses the inverter in the car and goes directly to the battery. Um, At-home chargers are mainly AC chargers using the inverter in the car. And so that will, you know, that could take half an hour. Uh, yeah. But um, when I say it takes half an hour, um, it's very different to refilling a car with fuel because you don't have to stand there with your hand on the Bowser or with your hand on the charger. You can go and do whatever you wish. So it really only takes about three seconds to charge. It takes a second to plug in and two seconds to unplug. But the more important point <laughs> to make here and to provide a bit of context is um, the charging time, uh, the public has already voted on charging time and or, te- or uh, EV owners have voted on charging time and have, they've voted overwhelmingly um, towards it not being an important metric. So, so Tesla in 2013 developed a battery swapping technology and, in fact, they had a station in California between Los Angeles uh, and San Francisco and they would swap batteries in 90 seconds. Now, the fastest way to refill a, a car in those days was um, about 38 litres per minute or about 10 gallons per minute. Now, so it would take about four minutes to refuel a petrol car, but 90 seconds to swap out a battery. So you could swap out two and a half batteries in the time it took to refuel one car. But people never used the, <laughs> the swapping um, station because they just figured, well, why would I go out of home or why would I get off my route um, to go um, to go and swap my battery or to go and refill a car if I can just charge it at home. So, yeah. you know, 75, well, 75 to 85% of people charge their EVs at home because it's so convenient. It takes one second. And, you know, I don't go out to charge. I charge when I'm out and I charge at home. It's a very yeah. different dynamic. Tesla's technology, it's a rapidly evolving company with strong focus on artificial intelligence, uh, they're working all the time on battery efficiency, technology, and and range. I mean, the, these cars have gone from sort of 150 kilometers to 700 kilometers of of range. What are the the major developments that you're seeing there in the in the uh, electric vehicle area? Look, Tesla is continuing to push ahead uh, with, uh, and you know, Elon Musk has uh, mentioned a number of times when asked what Tesla's ultimate. Um, moat is going to be what it's um, actually that's probably not a good word to use but what its competitive advantage is going to be um, in the future and he's he's mentioned um, mass production Uh, he's mentioned that you know to make the machine that makes the machine is incredibly difficult Um, he's also mentioned the pace of innovation 
Um, you know, just recently, uh, Tesla held its uh, AI day, uh, AI standing for artificial intelligence. It was quite incredible to see um, the technology behind the self-driving um, neural nets that, that, they've, that they're implementing um, and the, the computer, the um, you know, it's just mind-boggling. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, in pentaflops. So Tesla already has what is arguably the fifth largest computer to train its neural net. It's now building a computer that is going to be by far the fastest uh, in the world. So they've got incredible expertise in um, not just software, but hardware, but also um, in actuators, in power electronics, in batteries, in battery management systems, and so on. So yeah. uh, perhaps in retrospect, it's no surprise, but um, I don't know anyone that predicted the fact that they would launch what they call their Tesla bot, which is a, a humanoid robot. Um, they're looking at um, uh, having a prototype ready uh, by next year. Um, so this is a bipedal um, humanoid um, that has, you know, at this stage, two feet and, you know, 10 fingers. And the idea is, um, so Elon, during the presentation, mentioned that, you know, at some point this thing will be able to grab a grocery list and go and get your shopping. Um, you know, you'll be able to tell it to grab that wrench and, you know, tighten that bolt over there. And um, so it's, it's generalised intelligence and um, the way they explained it is effectively they're already doing that with their self-driving cars. Um, Elon mentioned that the AI in the self-driving cars is then, and then they're not, by the way, they're not completely self-driving at, at this point. They've got the capability, the hardware capability. They're just reiterate, they're just iterating on the software, but the, the software is already there. It's a semi-sentient intelligence effectively that's driving this car. So the AI is the brain and the car is the body. Yeah, he's saying that effectively Tesla's a, a robotics company. You could look at Tesla as not as an automobile company, but as a robotics company. Absolutely. And so the idea is that you just take the brain and you put it into another body, you know, and which is a humanoid. So you're, you're just changing the form factor. But, um, you know, it's, it's advances and it's a lead in um, software in, uh, like I said, actuators, power electronics, etc. It makes this for a natural. I mean, when you think about the total address, uh, total addressable market of these, the TAM, it's quite incredible because, you know, if you take this to the nth degree, you're potentially replacing all of, you know, human labor, and you know, so that brings into, you know, so that brings the idea of, you know, universal. Uh, income, you know, general universal income, etc. So, and brings yeah, all that. It's definitely on the way. And you know, people, I think the listener would have seen those dancing robots, the Boston Dynamic Technology, where robots are doing somersaults and walking up difficult paths and jumping up, up on boxes and so forth. So, this is the sort of technology that's coming. And it reminds me of that movie, iRobot. So, I think that's coming our way. It might be, you know, a few decades down the track, but it's sort of, developing now if we look at these um, two different problems we've got the electric vehicles with the charge that they pick up and we've got uh, during the day more and more uh, sort of weather dependent power coming on to the market with wind and uh, solar photovoltaics what part do you see that the batteries of these electric vehicles might play in actually harvesting 
some of that power when it's you know not needed. Look, a very important role, in fact, a crucial role. Um, so, look, every grid has uh, different dynamics. So in Las Vegas, the peak is at midnight. In um, the UK, it's during the first ad break, during Neighbours, when everyone boils a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> in Western Australia, where I live, um, the biggest load on the network here is air conditioning, uh, particularly between the months of December and uh, March. So, um, and it's usually in the afternoon. So when the air conditioners are still left on in the offices, but people start coming home and turning their air cons on at home, you start getting that overlap. Um, so, you know, that, that peak has been moving to later and later in the day throughout the years as solar has come on. But solar has um, introduced another problem in that, um, so our grid here in Western Australia, there's some debate as to um, what the minimum level for, minimal safe operating level uh, or not safe, you know, there is no, um, uh, all, all that will happen is the grid will just strip and um, it will just, you know, there'll be a blackout. But there is some debate as to whether that level is, the minimum operating level is, you know, 600 megawatts, 700 megawatts or whatever it is. So essentially our grid wasn't designed to function at such a low load um, and with solar producing most of its power during the day particularly at, at midday um, we have a problem which um, is colloquially known as the duck curve so people wake up in the morning they start having breakfast all the appliances come on so we have a small peak in the morning and then everyone goes to school goes to work um, or is um, you know at home and the solar comes on and we have the bottom of, of, of the duck, but then when everyone comes home and um, and especially when there's the a, air conditioner on and, and you know, it, gets the dinner cooking, yeah. Exactly. When that, when you have that overlap with the air conditioners, then you have another peak um, later in the evening. From 3 p.m. till about 9 p.m. at night. So, yeah, we can move that. We can harvest that photovoltaic and wind during the day and then move that to later in the day and that's going to be the way forward. So look, Peter, um, batteries are going to take a big part of this. Are you seeing batteries going into the microgrid systems that you're putting in place? Look, I, I don't do much microgrids um, at this stage. Um, it's a lot of commercial solar, um, residential solar, uh, yep. commercial grid electricity, but I am involved in that space somewhat. Yeah, look, um, Tesla has... Um, submitted an inquiry to uh, the Australian federal government calling on 20 gigawatts of battery storage by 2040 um, to replace the gas peaking plants and coal-fired power stations. So there's there's definitely um, a need uh, for storage. Um, look, you know, you could argue that EVs are just storage on wheels. Um, they're a, you know, very flexible uh, load and they're very price sensitive. So they'll respond to price signals very well. And, you know, EVs are sitting around during the middle of the day, not doing much. Uh, yeah. So they could be sucking up all that, you know, excess solar energy. Peter, they could actually, in fact, be being paid to take power off the grid when it when there's too much coming in. Especially in the middle of the night when, um, you know, the wind farms are still producing power and, you know, we have instances of negative wholesale electricity prices. So, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. But um, so, so yeah, but, yeah, no, look, there's definitely, um, you know, the battery space is, um, you know, r really, you know, network operators around the world have suffered, you know, with the advances in technology and, you know, distributed energy have, 
you know, suffered from what it's called a network operator death spiral. So, you know, um, as more solar comes on, you have less uh, money to fund the infrastructure. Um, So what you do is you increase prices. That that incentivizes more solar. So then you you try and put prices up. So we need smarter grids and, you know, we need to – the more – Electric vehicles are plugged into the into the grid on a timely fashion, the better. So, look, Peter, there's so much to talk about. I'd like to get you back again to talk about Bitcoin at some time in the future, but we've run out of time for today. So thanks for coming in and really updating us. It's a good update on what's happening in the electric vehicle market, uh, especially here in Western Australia. So thanks once again. Thanks, Peter. Great to be with you, and thanks for having me back again. Mm-hmm.